G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk live, those in live chat music and more. I'm John Murch. Our feature guest is Andrew Ferris. Before we get to him, let's go... In the box. Details through that the F-bomb dropping teen, Ren for short, has released Teen Angst, a seven-track mini-album, out through Interscope Records, pumping out all the emotions and to quote the 17-year-old themselves that they're super bummed, unquote, that they had to cancel shows in New York and L.A. Cut Mind Games prior to this release has gained over 8 million streams. From the tune New Way, mix sour keys with marijuana. That's a quote. Give the latter is legal in their part of the world, though how I personally miss them keys. It's a great example of punk pop. Worried though, someone who is not an adult's been through all this in their songs, but here we are. Today, self-discovery and expression not shared on a diary page, rather an open book across the world, in many cases, glossy and slick music videos. Ren for short, release Teen Angst, the voice is real and an artist with a solid future ahead. Musically down the street from Sydney, Australia, Alera has released Twin Flame Portal with the single The Empress, with hints of Arabic music background in their family together with what has been described as dream pop haze across the release not shying away from infusing cultural reference into the chapters of this release one more from my inbox melanie c the sporty one of the spice girls new tune is who i am a true retrospective of the career boxes of personality and multiple aspects thereof, kind of music come to expect from them with a stronger message of reflection and acceptance. Let's now head to our feature guest. Andrew Farris, known for over 40 years as a member of In Excess. There... The Very Best album has been crowned the number one selling Australian album of the last decade. As well, early in 2020, Farris was awarded with the Member of the Order of Australia. Now, in their sixth decade, they are going solo with a self-titled album. First singles are Come Midnight and Good Mama Bad, both giving a clear new direction for their music, something that is more country. In fact, it's from their cattle farm that Farris joins us for a chat ahead of the album's release. Andrew, welcome to Radio Notes. Oh, hi, John. How are you today? Absolute pleasure to speak with you, and even more so that you've been getting into the Adelaide Fringe Festival season. How was that? <laughs> well, that was awesome. I'd never actually taken, like, uh, how can I put it, a specific journey to really check out one of the festivals, and I was really blown away. Marlena, my wife and I, we went and we just had a great time. We went to lots of different shows and we saw, you know, there was elements of the, of the performances and the whole festival that really, you know, were fantastic. I can't recommend it highly enough to people. From your experience, because I saw that you were at Gluttony, which is a fantastic festive carnivale kind of atmosphere. What was the Rebel Show like? I saw it two years ago and was absolutely amazed by the talent up front. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I thought the, the Rebel, you know, performance in the Spiegel tent was awesome. I've got to say what really impressed me was not only were they great musicians, but then they were doing circus acrobatics and that sort of thing, you know, gymnastics or whatever. And as much as I'd like to fantasize that I could always do that in my show, I, I highly doubt that. Uh, as it, 
And that's where I, I thought when I saw that, I thought that's amazing because, you know, you've got such awesomely talented people who are multi-talented and, and, and in different arts. So I thought that was really impressive. We'll move on and focus deeply on onto you and, of course, the up-and-coming album in just a moment. But just to keep it parochial for one more moment, because at the moment I record between what is Gluttony and what is the Port Adelaide Football Club. So may I ask you how you feel about your song that you penned being used as the Port Power theme song? That's a great question, John. Uh, I remember when, I think it was David Koch championed Never Tear Us Apart, the song uh, that I co-wrote with Michael all those years ago to be used uh, for the footy team for Port Adelaide. And I, I, I thought at first when someone you know, asked or talked to me about it, I thought, that's a great idea. But it wasn't until I saw, I, I think it was on a you know a YouTube feed, I saw it and I was just knocked out. Uh, with, with, and I was overwhelmed, actually, more emotionally than I thought I was going to be with seeing everybody singing together a song that I'd written all those years ago with Michael, which was even more bizarre because Never Tear Us Apart was one of the songs that we weren't sure suited the kick album, believe it or not, at the time when we put it on because it didn't sound like the rest of the album. It goes to show you sometimes the, the wild card can be a very, very important thing in your life. Let's talk about the, the cattle ranch. It's been over two decades now that you've had a cattle and grain farm do you know much about farming at all or agriculture? I know a little bit. Teach me. Sure. I, I was going to say, look, there's a hell of a lot I've got to learn yet too, and I've only been in it for 28 years, but I was going to say that for me, I originally got into it. It's a long story, but I I got into the agricultural world because I wanted something to do with the physical world where I was living out of a suitcase and traveling all the time in the entertainment industry I just found it wasn't particularly good for my soul. Uh, I just felt very disconnected from reality. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I got into wanting to be involved with, with agriculture and farming is because the people that work in those communities work outdoors a lot and they're constantly in touch with nature. And, and I, I just, I like the people and I like the environment and the small communities that run with that. Uh, I think it's very important for our country. Is it a sense of home? How would you describe that particular aspect of the farm lifestyle? Like I was talking to a bloke yesterday and he was telling me how much he hates going near the ocean. And he's an old cocky, you know, from out in the bush. I said to him, well, I don't dislike the ocean. I like swimming in the ocean, but I get bored sitting on a beach, uh, which is one of the other reasons I like the country, is because, you know, there's lots to do out here. And I feel part of it. I understand the communities and, and I get it. And I live it, and I, and I have mates and friends and family out in these areas, and, and it more means a lot to me and the people in my world. And But I was actually born on Cottesloe Beach in Perth in Western Australia at the old women's hospital there that the Americans built for servicemen, both Australians and Americans, during World War II. What sense of family did you have back in Perth? I had a very fortunate upbringing. You know, there's a book written by a man called A.B. Facey called A Fortunate Life, a brilliant book. I highly recommend it for anyone to read, especially an Australian. You know, having read his book, I'm beyond a fortunate life. I had a fantastic upbringing in Perth in the 1960s. I grew up where we didn't have to lock the house up and uh, Dad left the keys in the car. And it was just that kind of a lifestyle when we were growing up as kids. And 
I, I used to say to Dad, why do you leave the keys in the car? And he goes, well, son, this is back in the 60s. There's nowhere they can drive it to. And I was like, oh, that's a good point, actually. You know, so to a certain extent, I know what Dad meant, where it was such a small town, really. I mean, Perth was a kind of a, a frontier town, really, in those years when we were growing up as kids. And so my family life reflected that for my brothers and I, Tim and John, and my sister Allison, and my mother and father, uh, Dennis and Jill, were basically, uh, you know, most people in Perth in the, in the 60s there, and I suppose late 50s when mum and dad were around there, or 50s, 1950s, they all, basically most families were people near each other back in those days. It wasn't that big city feeling, you know, where you, there's concrete everywhere and nobody knows everybody and everyone's a stranger. And they talk to each other through flat screens. I note you are also, when you were inducted, and congratulations, by the way, into the member of the Order of Australia, uh, Keith Urban was on the list and a few other people, including the wonderful Deborah Conway. But Tim Minchin, a fellow Perth person, was on that list as well. Now, he obviously is a tad bit younger than yourself. Did Perth give you the grounding that you needed? Oh, I think so. Well, first of all, you know, I, I grew up within a wonderful, uh, wonderful grounded family upbringing I thank God and, and my family for that but also I think Perth yeah definitely gave and, and that sense of uh, you know Western Australia you know they well Texans you know will talk about how big Texas is but Western Australia is three times the size of Texas so I grew up with a feeling of space and that anything's possible as a kid that you could you know there's no frontier big enough and I think that continued on into my life somehow into my aspirations. And I don't just mean I appreciate what you said about the Order of Australia. That's a huge award to be given to me or anybody. Uh, and, and I acknowledge Deborah Conway and Keith Urban and, uh, and of course, Olivia Newton-John and the Grand Shark and all the others that got those awards. Uh, I know it fell, those awards being given fell within an awful, horrible time for most Australians with the bushfires and I looked at the front page of the Telegraph, I think it was, or one of the papers that had on uh, Australia Day on the 26th of January, and I went back and looked at that front page the other day, and it and it was also acknowledging giving medals to the, the firefighters and the families of those people that fought those horrific fires. You know, my heart goes out to those people that lost their homes or lost people in their lives, and it's a, a national disaster, really. And you've been contributing to Haymate for a number of years, but this year would have been more significant. Well, that's right. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't be everywhere I wanted to be. Uh, I really would have loved to have done that concert and performed at it. But my, also my wife, Marlena, her family are from Dayton in Ohio in the United States. And we spent this Thanksgiving for them in America and also for Christmas uh, because her mother had gone through a serious back operation over there in the US and we want to be there to support her and her family. I, as an Australian, I, I really understand, as I said before, living out in, in a sort of more remote rural community, I understand the pressures and the needs of these people out here. I rally their cause a bit because they don't get a lot of voice sometimes, I don't think, where they need it. They're a pretty tough bunch. They may not look it on the outside, some of them, but I can see how resilient and how much they care about things that people would be surprised about in the city. Let's briefly talk about the first single because that does relate to your wife, I believe. It was her alarm song. A demo version, perhaps, was the song of choice on her alarm. Yeah, that's right. My first solo release 
single is Come Midnight and the oldest song that I've written on my album. And what happened was I had it, yeah, as a demo version, very similar to the version that you would know now or I've released and it will be on my album, but very similar to that. It just wasn't finished and I hadn't tracked it with a live band and that sort of thing. It was pretty close to being the way I wanted it. Well, Marlena always loved it and she put it on her cell phone as a wake-up call. And at first I was like, oh, no, you know, because like, as an artist, you know, you, you get over yourself pretty quickly. Once you hear something a few times, you start to, especially as a songwriter or recording artist, you know, you hear something you've recorded or written. And at first you might think, oh, this is great or maybe it's not or whatever. But after a while you kind of get over it. You don't want to hear it. And, but it, she kept having it as a wake-up call. And so I took it literally as a wake-up call. I thought, hang on a minute. If Marlena really likes this, maybe somebody else will. So one of the first things I did was I went and tracked it when I started recording my album. I tracked it in Nashville, actually, even though I'd, I'd written the demo and recorded it uh, back here in Australia, I, I decided to track it over there while I was in the United States. And that's the version that you can hear now. How important is Marlena to this album, the musical process? It sounds like highly because it contributed to a single. Oh, Marlene has definitely been helping me drive in the background, a lot of the uh, art work and photography and the kind of design look of it all, besides the music, um, music's been more my department. She's more of a tastemaker. She'll tell me if she likes or doesn't like something, and I'll take that on board or not, depending on how smart or stupid I am at that point in time. But I thank her enormously for her contribution to what we've been doing, I suppose, to put all this together and make it a commodity or something that, you know, well, we've got vinyl. My album will be coming out on vinyl, which I'm quite excited about. Where have you pressed vinyl? In America or in Australia? Well, would you believe it, as I'm talking to you, John, I'm actually sitting here holding the test pressing for that vinyl in my hand, which is kind of bizarre. It came in the post box today. I'm really excited about that. Have you put the wax to the test yet? I haven't, but I will definitely going to do that. I'm sitting in town at the moment where I've got good phone reception uh, just outside the local coffee house having a coffee and having a yarn with you but when I get back out on the property I've got a good turntable and hi-fi there and I'm, I'm going to let it spin and, and see what happens. Uh, but I'm pretty excited about it I'd say and I think you're going to like the vinyl package I'm going to be a bit of a salesman for a minute all of us, myself, Marlena our art team, photography the artwork layout, design done by our mates over in the US. I think you're going to really like the look of it. It has a real feel to it. You know, but I, I, yeah, I'm excited to play the, play the album. Let me just say that the caps and cards, as in playing cards, are available right now. I think something like a shot glass is available there as well on the website. AndrewFarris.com is where you should go for that. Oh, hey, my name is Emily Hatton, and I'm coming up soon on Radio Notes Podcast. Listen to my new single, Maybe, featuring Troy Kemp. We didn't answer the question of where that test pressings come from. Yeah, no, sorry, I wasn't doing a um, no. You were distracted. A squirrel. No, yeah, that's right. I wasn't doing a squirrel. Actually, I was watching a truck drive by in the middle of town here, seriously. But to focus on your question and the answers, the test pressing is actually, believe it or not, came out of Czechoslovakia. Now, I read the other day there's a big vinyl factory in the US that had burnt down or some disaster or something. That's really that's a shame because. In the years I've been watching slowly vinyl rebuild, especially amongst the younger generation right now, I was amazed when I was last in the US. There's a big, huge, well, there's lots of them, a company in the US called Books & Co. 
And I remember when I first went and looked in their bookstore 10 years ago for Christmas gifts or whatever for family, and they had a small section on vinyl. Well, the last one I went in there, the last Christmas gone, of 2019, I was staggered at how much vinyl they're selling again. It really blew me away. Like, I thought, that's great. There's something about the package with vinyl, and especially there's a bit of a surprise for people buying vinyl record. I think they're going to, and I'm talking, I'll give you a little clue. It's the vinyl itself you should check out. I want to talk about clocks and particularly that of time. Does time play a part in your life? Does time matter to you? You seem to reference it in your film clips and you like looking at your watch. That's right. You know, that was a theme that there's going to be two more videos come out that I've already made. One's called Run Baby Run and the other one's called Apache Pass, which was shot in literally near Apache Pass in Arizona in the United States in cowboy country. And Run Baby Run was shot with the Mary Valley Rattler, the steam train people up in Queensland near uh, Gimpy Muster. Those videos have got reference to time as well. Basically, we all live with clocks. Like if you've got a you know modern digital device, it will be telling you you know that it's time to do this and time to do that. And we live our lives with this sort of idea of, of clocks and time. And part of my thinking was, you know, and I, it, it's in my videos, which is draw people's awareness of how affected and controlled we are by our idea of time. Whereas, say, older cultures would have taken a, a, a more deep a breath and relaxed and said, well, maybe it's not time for that. It's just something that I've noticed is how much we live our lives according to in the 19th, 20th century, 21st century, we're living this idea of time. Whereas in other, older cultures and in different times, there we go, in different times of history with humans, I wonder, did some people pay that much attention to what particular time it was? Or did they say something a little bit more instinctual, like, I think it's the right moment for this to happen, rather than it had to happen exactly at such and such a time? I want to draw you in on that because you do live on the land. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Anna Smirk, who um, she's a singer-songwriter who bases themselves in the Solomon Islands and places like that, where the sun rises and the sun sets and the water tides and all those. Is there time? That's how they see time and how things get done. Do you have that sense of time as well, that the land tells you when things get done? Absolutely, the land will tell you. We just come, well, hopefully, you know, please God, we're coming out of three years of the worst drought I've ever seen in our district in the northwest of New South Wales. And I really hope that we're coming out of this drought. It looks like it's got signs of coming out of it, but it's done this before. It can be quite cruel, but it will do whatever it's going to do. It doesn't matter how much you throw a tantrum or you do a rain dance, whatever you're going to do, it'll do what it's going to do in nature's time. This is where human beings have become a little bit disassociated with the old world. It was where we kind of, we think that we can solve everything with a device or technology or whatever. Some things are going to be bigger than us, you know. That's just what I believe. And I think farming teaches you that as well, is that there are some things that you're going to have to just be patient and wait for things to happen in their time. You can try to force things to happen. You can try to uh, make all the precautions or, you know, whatever. But here we are in the 21st century in a new decade, you know, in 2020. But still some things haven't changed. They're in their own time and they always will be. 
trains have their set of times, obviously, but also that the railroads themselves will take their own time to be built. What's that fascination with rail and trains for you? You may have mentioned it before. Well, you've got to imagine, too, some of my album is about this subject where a lot of the storytelling I'm doing on my album, some of it's very modern with modern social issues or comments or even just having a good time in a modern sense. And some of it is set in period. And back to say around about 1880 up to about steampunk is the era I'm writing about and singing about. And including outlaws, cowboys, bush rangers, old world problems in, in that old European sense, explorers, the era of explorers, you know, all that kind of stuff I'm writing and singing about. And the idea of the railway or railroad, as the Americans call it, is all part of that because you've got to imagine what life was like before electricity. The railroad or the railway virtually changed the world because before that, before the motor car, before, you know, you basically rode around on a horse or you had a horse and cart or you didn't go anywhere. That's what you did. Or you went by ship or you walked. Virtually beyond that, it wasn't until the, the railroads or the railways came along that it opened up like this little town I'm sitting in, I'm talking to you right now from, would have had a pioneer railway line laid out here, uh, as did a lot of places in the world. And it joined communities together and that joined the cities together that made for progress, it made for the building of countries. I'll reflect on this for a minute. There's a book called Nothing in the World Quite Like It that was written about at the end of the Civil War in the United States you had a very uh, sad situation where even though the North won against the South, you had two communities of people that, in a sense, hated each other within one country. And so Abraham Lincoln, I think, thought of the idea of a railroad joining one side of the United States, being you know, uh, California, uh, San Francisco, I think it was, with Chicago to the east. And they made a competition. And so a lot of the people from... The Confederate Army uh, joined on one side uh, with the railroad. Uh, I think it was the Central Pacific. And then they, I, I think this is right, and then the Union, I think, uh, took it from San Francisco being the other railroad, Union Pacific maybe it was, to join up and form for the first time a way to get across the United States by rail. Now, if you stop and think about that, before it was cowboys and Indians, wasn't it? It was horses and stagecoaches and whatever, all that cowboy history. When the railroad came, it joined all that together and it formed what has become the strongest, biggest, most powerful country in the world. I'm also reflective of the fact that you come from Perth and that Australia had its own history of actually having a railway that went from Perth to the eastern side. Sure, rail gauges will always be an issue, but we can talk about that a different day. Do you also reflect on that, how, how the railways have established Australia and given that sense of opening up the country? Absolutely. I think Australians realised during World War II how dangerous it was not to have a standard gauge of railway when the Japanese came down to invade Australia. I think the, the Australians at that time recognised how dangerous it was compared to the United States. Sure, the United States might have had narrow gauge railways or whatever, but they didn't have the problem we had in Australia where you had broad gauge, narrow gauge and standard gauge railways all trying to convey uh, soldiers, you know, food, uh, medical supplies and, you know, ordnance all around Australia where they have to unload and load each train. Crazy, dangerous for Australia to have an unregulated system was nuts. 
And I think it slowed Australia's growth down as a country, actually. It's your birthday on March the 27th. Happy birthday. You're turning 61 years of age. How are you feeling about this decade of your life? I'm feeling really good about it, John. I've got to say, you know, thank God I'm not in my 50s anymore. Talk <laughs> us, through, talk really us in... through that. What, what, what went wrong, hey? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I, maybe I went through what they call a midlife crisis, but I've definitely come out the other side of that now. I've got a whole new lease of life, and I just feel really good about everything. I'm not living in the past. I'm very much in the present, and I like living in the present. I'm not living in the future. I'm not living in the past, and I'm just enjoying the now. I'm enjoying what I'm doing with my friends, my family, and my career. just feel really good about everything, looking really excited, looking forward to getting out and playing my music to people, to convey a positive message about everything with other people. I bet you've got one eye, though, on May the 15th when the album does drop. As you've shared exclusively with us, the test pressing has arrived. You're about to go and listen to that in the next 24 hours or so. Andrew Farris, thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. You're welcome, John, and and have a great day, mate. We'll we'll talk again, hopefully. Andrew Farris. They can be found online at andrewfarris.com. update that release date of may 15th between when we recorded that chat back on march the 2nd and in the coming weeks when it was meant to be released has been changed due to the current environment in the world the album though is still available on pre-order via your favorite music outlets including the jb hi-fi apple music spotify i think also has a pre-save available so just repeating that may 15th date has been moved to later 2020 early 2021 for Andrew Ferris's self-titled album. There is a number of great singles already out from the album you can enjoy and you'll find all the details on the pre-orders as well as those music film clips in our show notes. Next time on the show we'll catch up with femme queer performer Kareth Manderson Gavin to find out about their latest theatre performance and the music that inspires the femme in them. That's next time. Thanks very much to our feature guest, Andrew Ferris. I look forward to listening to the record and maybe chatting further with him in the future. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.